0: So, Pastor Don asked me a couple weeks ago if uh, I would fill in for him while he's in California. And he, and he said that uh, he doesn't usually do this, but he, he wanted to give me a topic. He said it's the end of the year. Uh, it's, it's somewhat stressful times, uncertainty in the economy and in the country. And so, to give a message of encouragement that the Lord is in control. So I started studying. I said, okay, I can do that. That, that sounds like a pretty easy thing to go to the Word and find encouragement and, and comfort that the Lord is, in fact, in control. I will say, it, as I started looking and studying, it didn't go anywhere near where I thought it was going to go. So, so we'll see how this all comes together. But I do believe it is a message of encouragement and of hope. So we're going to start in 2 Timothy, in uh, chapter 3. We are going to be moving around a little bit in the Word as we discuss various things. But we're going to start out in 2 Timothy 3, and we will actually end up back over in 2 Timothy 3. So, let's start out 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. But know this that in the last day perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of of money, boasters, proud, blasphemies, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now how that for a message of hope and encouragement but the fact is we do live in what we may think of as perilous times and i think we could go to the newspaper probably over the next couple of weeks and we could find examples in the world of all of those things of men being deceivers and lovers of self and lovers of pleasure and etc 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 But what really struck me about this passage was was the very last verse, verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And I think, how does all those things that we just read, that doesn't sound much like a form of godliness to me. But I think the fact is that every person within themselves is searching for something outside of themselves to believe in. And, and one of the phrases that I think we're hearing more and more uh, now in the world is, well, I'm spiritual, I'm just not religious. I think people are searching for something. And the, the sad fact is that absence of, of the God's word, people create their own gods. And we see that all the time. We see it in, in the New Age movement. We see it in the meditation, where they think that they can find within themselves the answer if they just commune with nature or, or think about it or seek their own truth. And even nations, we, we see nations, and, and certainly you, you look at the Muslim world, more and more nations are now identifying themselves with uh, the Muslim faith. And nations begin to take on aspects of the God that they create and the religion that they embrace. In our country, we like to say that we are a Christian nation. We have, in God we trust, on our money. And we say, under God, in the Pledge of Allegiance. Our Congress opens with prayer. And boy, I sure hope they do it today. But we, people search for a form of godliness. And if they don't look for it in the word, they create their own. And the problem with that is the God that we create on our own is a God that justifies our actions. Well, this is the way I am. This is the way I act. Therefore, I believe that God is like this. And it it becomes a nice, closed circuit, right? We create our own God, that God says you should act and behave and feel like this. Well, we act and behave and feel like this, and therefore our God must be correct. And it all makes nice, symmetrical sense. But the problem, and so people are looking for a form of godliness. And even in the Christian church, I think we can fall into this trap. We say, well, we think Christians should act like this. So we have doctrinal statements and we have rules and regulations. And, and, and so if we believe this, then we have these rules and regulations and we act like this, and now we're, we're good with God because we are following our church doctrine or we are following our rules as laid down by the elders. And so we can get into the place of creating our own form of godliness. But the real kicker here, and this is where the hope starts to come in, is in the very last phrase. Have a form of godliness, but denying its power. Now, if, if a form of godliness can deny the power of godliness, that means that there does exist a power of godliness. And that's what we really want to look at this morning. What is that power of godliness that Paul is talking about? Because I don't know about you, but me, I don't want, I'm not real interested In forms of godliness, I want the real thing. I want to know where the power is and what is really true. So, let's jump over. You might want to put a pencil or something in 2 Timothy. We're going to end up back there. Let's jump over to Acts chapter 4. And I'm going to to talk this morning about what I think are three different aspects or phases... Of the power of godliness. And so, if we go to Acts 4, verses 8 through 12, and we'll read. And this is Peter standing before the Sanhedrin. He and John had just went into the temple a couple days before this, and there's a lame man outside the temple. And this is where he, they said, silver and gold have I, I do not have to give you, but what I have I give you freely. And he said, rise and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. And the lame man was healed. It was on the Sabbath. And so the Sanhedrin pulled in Peter and John before the Sanhedrin to question them why they were healing on the Sabbath. So let's look at chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I believe that the first phase of power of godliness is the power of salvation. You thought I was going to talk about healing the lame man, but I didn't. It's the power of salvation. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. And think about that. This is real power. Because we are created beings out of dust. In Adam, we all fell. We all are sinful. We cannot stand before a holy God. We cannot come into the holy presence. We are not worthy... Of anything except condemnation. And yet. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. God has made us. Heirs to the kingdom. We are his sons. Talk about rags to riches. We are nothing. And yet through his mercy and grace. And the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We are heirs to the kingdom of God. And not just the little God, but the God of the universe, the creator of all things. And he welcomes us into his presence. That, I contend, is power of godliness, to take someone such as us and make us heirs to God. And all that that entails, the creator of the universe, I contend that that is true power of godliness. And so for the second, I'm going to real quickly read from Romans, and then we're going to go on over. You might want to turn on over to Galatians 5. But in Romans 12, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, because the second form of power of godliness, God doesn't just want to save us. And, And I think there's, I think some churches, they think that if, if they can get people to come forward, if they can get them to profess in Christ, then, then that's good, right? Got your tickets stamped, you're going to heaven, all's good. Now just wait till you die and then you'll go to heaven. But that is denying, I believe, the second phase of power that God wants to see manifest in your life and in my life. And that is the power of transformation of us into a godly image. Because when you get saved, God comes in and his spirit dwells in us. But this old fleshly desires, the old fleshly wants, they don't just automatically disappear. You have to be transformed. You have to be changed. You have to put aside the old life the old desires, and be transformed into what God wants you to be. And man is made up of three parts. We're made up of a body, a mind, and a spirit. And at the point of salvation, God's spirit comes in and he communes with our spirit. Our spirit is quickened. It is made alive by the act of God's mercy and grace and salvation in our lives. But we're still in this body, bodily bodily. Uh, vessel here, and we're still surrounded by the world that has all those things that we just read about back in 2 Timothy. And those things are fighting for our time, and that's what we're going to read about in Galatians, Galatians 5, 16 through 24. So Galatians 5:16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, adultery, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbirth of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we walk in the Spirit... If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So salvation is just the start. God now wants to transform us into His liking, to take us from that long list of of nasty things to that list of godly qualities. And we saw back in Romans 12 that that process is done through the renewing of our mind. As I said, we're made up of body, mind, and spirit. At salvation, our spirit is quickened, God's spirit joins with us, but our body is still pulling us into this world and pulling us back to all those things that we want so much in the world. But our mind has a choice. We get to choose what we dwell on. We can dwell on the desires of the body and of this world, or we can dwell on the things of the spirit and allow God to quicken our spirit and to teach our spirit. And that's our choice. And the choice is an internal choice, and we have control of that. But it's God's power working in us through his word and in his spirit that allows us to be transformed. So we are made heirs of the king, but he doesn't leave us there. He then now begins to transform us into his likeness. The king of the universe wants to bestow on us all his characteristics and attributes. And that is the power of God working in a Christian's life. That's not just the form of godliness. That isn't rules and regulations and doctrines that you just go by rote, and we follow those because that's what we're supposed to do. It's a transformation of our character. It's a transformation of our spirit. It becomes who we are. We are made into his image and into his likeness. And that's power of God in our lives. So let's jump over now to the third form of power. And that is 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. So we've seen two forms or phases of power of God working in our lives. The power of salvation. The power of sanctification. Which is a word that basically just means when you are being sanctified by God, you are being transformed into His image. And now let's look at the third form of power that will be manifested in the Christian's life. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35, and we're going to read quite a ways, over to 54. 35 through 54. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in honor. It is sown as weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And as it was written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly." And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say to you, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible for this corruptible must put on incorruptible, and this mortal mortal must be put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And I say that's the final form of power that will be manifest. In a Christian's life. And that is the power of glorification. We started out as dust. We started out as created beings. Through the gift of salvation, God made us heirs to the throne. He then came in and he sent his spirit to teach us, to guide us in the word, to transform us into his being here on earth. To be his messengers, to be his disciples to be his ambassadors here on earth and we are being changed into his likeness and then when all is said and done in the last day we will be raised incorruptible and this flesh will go away and we will be truly transformed into a spirit like unto him And that is power. Look at where we start. We start as created beings out of the dust, and we end setting with God in heaven with all His characteristics and attributes, praising Him, living with Him, being like Him. And there's very three distinct phases of that power. But I maintain if we go back over to Second Timothy that when we are to judge things when we look around at the world and we say what is it? What What is good and true? Because you know what? Every religion every nation every denomination will look at their you name it, they'll look at their motto, they'll look at their constitution, they'll look at their doctrinal statement, they'll look at their rules, they'll look at their order of service, they will look at a lot of things. And they say, we are godly because of this. But I think what we need to look at is, is that a form of godliness? Or is that true godliness? Because I think, unless you hear or see this power of godliness working in people's lives then you are looking at forms of godliness not true power of godliness and the thing to ask yourself is where am i do i need to take that first step of salvation and allow god's power to flow into me by accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Or have I done that? And now do I need to ask God to send His Spirit, to quicken my spirit? Do I need to get into the Word? Do I need to search His truth? Do I need to allow Him to transform me into the man or woman that He wants me to be? Because we 're all heading the same place, those who believe in Jesus Christ, we are heading to a glorified body and a glorified presence with him in heaven and that 's exciting, and that 's hope. so when you look around at the world and you wonder are they going to be able to to get it together today or tomorrow and 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 pass bills that will allow that will keep our tax rates from going up and keep the government running and et cetera, et cetera. And you, and you wonder, what, what about North Korea and Iran and, and their nuclear ambitions and their, their rocketry and, and what's that gonna do to the world? And you look at the, the, the Muslim spring and, and the uh, countries that are moving to more and more fundamentalist Muslim And you look at the pressure that Israel is under. And these really are perilous times. At least they look like it to me. But all those things are outside of us. The power of God. I guess what I want to say to you is. The power of God. Many people would say. If you really want to experience the power of God. You got to you gotta, you got to come together and maybe twice a month we have a name it and claim it, you know, uh, session. Or, or you, you, you pray over and, and, you, and, and your, your finances will, will miraculously uh, come about and be in good order. And, and these blessings will pour into your life. But I contend that the power of godliness and the power of God is an internal working, not an external. And what that allows us to do is, these are perilous times. I can't say that your finances are going to be wonderful this coming year. I can't say that there may not be tragedy hit any one of our families. And I pray that's not true. But, in that the power of God is manifest internally. The power of salvation is a quickening of your spirit inside you. The power of sanctification is a quickening of your spirit and a growth of your spirit within you. Glorification will be a process that takes place. This body will be gone, and it will be a spirit transformation. It's not external. The power of God is internal. And so your hope is not in those things your eyes see around you. It is in what God is doing inside of you. And maybe we can get to the point that Paul got to. Where he says, I've known plenty and I've known famine. Famine. I have known shipwrecks and beatings, and yet I have learned to be content because of what was inside me. So I'd like to close in Second Timothy, chapter three again. We're back where are we starting? I want to read verses 10 through 17. Second Timothy three: 10 through 17. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, you want to see hope, you want to see the power of God manifest in your life, get in the Word and open yourself to the Spirit. Let Him quicken your spirit, let Him teach you, and let Him transform you. And if you are here and you have not taken that first step to allow the power of God to work in your life for salvation, then catch any one of the men here this morning and we'll be happy to pray with you. I hope this has been a message of hope. But I I can also say is don't look at the world around you for your hope. Don't look at Congress for your hope. Don't look at uh, the economic times for your hope. Look to the power of God. And there's your hope. And it is a glorious hope. And there will be nothing that will stand against it. If I can get you all to stand, please. And we'll close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray that your word would be a guide to us, a lamp unto our feet. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would come in and quicken our spirit. Move us in the directions that we need to go. And Lord, we we pray that your power would be manifest in our lives, in who we are, and what we are becoming. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now for a blessing. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. May the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints."